Okay, good morning, everyone. It's good, good to see you. Good to see you. Yes, the, sh- the sheet that I handed out to you today is shorter than usual. And it's shorter than usual because it is... Um, the computer was being fetchy. Very, very fetchy. Um, I don't know if this belongs to somebody. It was here on this edge of the table last week. Um, okay. So where we're up to here... Uh, what we talked about the last uh, couple of times was the Pasuk. Last time, Hashem saw that the evil of man had grown in the world, and all of the drives of the hearts of man were just bad all of the day. And uh, what we focused on last time was two aspects of the Pasuk. One aspect of the Pasuk was the growing evil of man in the earth. And we talked about that, you know, there comes a point in time where the, the evil just overwhelms and therefore deserves destruction, as we read the Rambam in Hilchais Tshuva. We talked about how, as the Radak says, Vayar Hashem, this is after Hashem said, I'll give them 120 years. So Hashem observed and he saw that the trajectory which had made him concerned earlier had been fulfilled and that the evil of man had grown in, grown in the world to that point to the point that seemed to be a point of no return. And the drives of the hearts of man were just bad all of the day, so we spent time talking about that, talking about the contrast to a Pasuk in Divrei Hayamim, which we invoke just invoked a few minutes ago in Uval Hashem preserved this as the drive of the hearts of your people. And that was the desire that the Jewish people had to build a Beit HaMikdash, or as we say in Uval in Hashem Yimlech Lo'elam Vo'ed. May Hashem be the king for all eternity. That should be the drive of the hearts of man. But instead, at this point, the drive of the hearts of man was Rak Rak was just bad. And uh, so we spent time talking about that and talking about how there's great significance, not just to the Rabba Rasadamvaritz, to the evil that was perpetrated in the land, to the actuality, but in a certain sense, what was even more severe was that the drives of people were negative. Because many times a person is defined more by what they want and what they seek and what their drives are than by what they're actually doing. The essence of the person is what they're what they're pushes, what their desire is, what they're motivated for. So this was the situation of man. The evil had grown in the land. The desire for evil was all over the place, was pervasive, completely occupying the hearts of people. So let's continue on here. But the way we're going to continue on is we're going to start with a memra, a statement from the Zaira Kaddish, we mentioned last time that there would be such a such a statement, and um, and uh, and we're going to look at that statement, which is going to describe something which is found in other midrashim, not just in the Zayar Hakadosh, and uh, significant. It, ha- it so happens that the Zayar has a meaningful tie-in to something which we're going to read about in this week's parsha, which is going to be meaningful. But the, the, the principle which is going to open up for us 
is one which is significant. Significant. Look at the Zayra Kodesh. Vayar Hashem ki Rabu Rasa Lomar Tzchol Yitzim Ach Shreis Libe. Review the Pasach. Ki loy keel chafetz resha ata lo yagur chara. You are not a God who desires wickedness. With you does not live bad. Haikra itmar vukmua. That Pasach was said and maintained of Tochazi. But come and see, man, this Dabik Bietarav Ismashabasre, one who's attached to the Yetzir Hara and is drawn after it, Yistoyevhu Vyisavunle. He becomes impure, and the impurity is connected to him. Kumoda Itmar as it was says, Kiraba Ras Adam. Kolbishinhavu Avdi. All kinds of bad things they did. But Vlaishtalim Khaivayu. But their guilt was not complete. Now that translates simply as until they needlessly spilled blood on the earth. That's simply the way it's translated. And who is that? That they were mechablin archayu al ara. They were destroying their way, quote unquote, on the earth. Hadohu dechsiv, I know that's a little cryptic, we're going to explain it shortly. Hadohu dechsiv rak ra kolayoim. The Pesach says they were just ra all of the day. Ksiv hocha rak ra. Here it says just bad. Ksiv hosam, and it says there, now one bracket says layugur chara, Ksiv ahi er bachar Yehuda ra be'ene Hashem. Er, the bachar of Yehuda, was bad in the eyes of Hashem. And he was killed. What did what did Er Bachar Yehuda do? <coughs> so he spilled his seed. Chazal tell us that he did not want Tamar to conceive. He destroyed his seed. <coughs> It doesn't say it specifically in the Pasuk. What it says in the Pasuk more specifically was about Onan, his younger brother. Onan who married Tamar after Er died. So the Pasuk says, Vayeda Onan ki Onan knew that the offspring that he would have from this union would not be his that he was marrying Tamar, so to speak, anonymously as the brother of Er in order to maintain the, uh, the um, memory of Er, the name, the shame of Er. Okay, let's note that, note that, to maintain the shame of Er and not his own. And so the Pasuk says as follows. He destroyed to the ground in order not to give Zera to give seed to his brother. So it was bad in the eyes of Hashem what he chose to do, what he did. And he killed him 
as well. So what do we what do we say? By air, it said he was bad in the eyes of Hashem. What did he do? It doesn't say. Here it says what he did. But says Rashi back on Rabbi Hashem, Kira The bad which he committed was like the bad that Ainan committed. Mashkizare, destroying his seed. How do I know? Because by Ainan it says, and he killed him too. And that means that Er was doing the same thing. Uh, but we have a problem. Why would Er destroy his seed? Ainan, we understand why. The, the children would be on behalf of his brother, wouldn't be for himself. Writes Rashi, it's from the Gemara. He didn't want her to become pregnant, and it would negatively affect her appearance, her beauty. So therefore, he did it for that reason, and his brother did it for a different reason. And both of them did ra. Says the Gemara that when it says ra, ra, kol it's the same ra. The same bad that it describes there is the bad that is present over here. Both of them are the destruction of seed. That's what Rashi says. That's what Chazal says. That's what the Gemara says over there. But over here, I'm sorry, I said that's what Rashi says. That's what Rashi says over here. The Zayra Kaddish plugs it in to the Rak Rakol Hayyim, which we have over here. And that's what the Gemara calls Shvichus Damim. The, the Zayar calls spilling blood on the earth. Because the 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 Gemara elsewhere speaks about, you know, the pasuk that the person who is not Isaac the period of Arivia, a person who chooses to divert themselves from being able to produce children, it's as if they are spilling blood, and the wasting of seed in that sense is considered to be something quite significant, quite destructive in the in the picture of things. That also drives it. yes. Yes, it should seem to be a deraisa. Uh, the 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 expression that we have here of Rabba Ras Hadam Ba'oretz is interpreted this way as well: that the bad of man, the Ra, was Ba'oretz on the earth, and in fact, Chazal will say it later in Parshas Nayach when it says. Every all flesh was mashkis darkai. Darkai is their way. Right, the derech is the way of intimacy that they destroyed it upon the earth. It's not just describing a corrupting of sexuality that they were with the wrong people, but also this kind of destruction of seed was also called Hishkis Kol Basar as Darkel. Or it's that's the Ra that we describe here. And we have to understand why that is. What the significance of this is here in this framework. And the principle we're going to learn here is not one which is going to be new to us. It's just that here we're going to see this brought home again in a very significant way. It's a principle which we have learned in the context of Bereshus to Nayach and from what happens here with Nayach. And uh, look, you know, 
principles should pop up in all kinds of places because if they're a unifying principle, then it should be there everywhere, all the time. So we'll try to show here how it is brought out exceptionally and significantly in this context. So number one, again, let us remind ourselves of what we have over here. The Pasuk describes that the evil of man was great on the earth and the drives of the hearts of man were just bad all of the day. So whereas last time we spent just time talking about that they did a lot of evil things, we weren't very specific about it, and the drives of man was, were for evil things, right? and that was you know, that. Was that. Here in the Zaira Kodesh, and we spent our time focusing on that, on the increase of evil and on the thoughts of man, here what we're learning with the Zaira Kodesh is giving a specific name to the Ra that they did. And that was Hashchosas Zera Al Horetz, Hishchit Kolbosor as Dark Al Horetz, Rabba Ras Adam Horetz, and most fascinatingly, the Zera Kodesh says that this is really the we get it from the term Ra, because the word Ra is going to be used later with regard to Er, who was Rabbi Hashem, and we know that his Ra was that he was Mashchus Darko, very much like Onan was Mashchus Darko. So why was Onan Mashchus Darko? Because it wasn't going to be for his name. Okay, let's go. A donut for anyone who makes the connection. Oh. Oh. In the Pasuk, right before this section, what were the last words in the Chumash before this Pasuk, Pasuk Hay? It speaks about the Nephilim who were in the land at that time. And even afterwards, that the Bnei Elohim came to the Bnei Adam and they gave birth, they were the Gibarim that were Me'olam Anshe Hashem, the people of name. And what did we say when we learned about the people of name? They were setting about to make for themselves a name. Just like we will find by the ten generations later, by the Dora Floga, Vinasalanu Shame. And the real way to go about things, as we talked, we had an extensive discussion about it around this table, was to instead try to Mimakadesh es Hashem, to, to make the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu great. As the Malochim, who are identified in that Pasuk, all of those discussions are about the Malochim, you know, the Malochim, the Nephilim who fell from the heavens. Right? What are the Malochim? Their goal is to sanctify Hashem's name in the world. They're not interested in themselves. They have no goal of their own. They're people who are messengers with a mission. And their mission is to do on behalf of Hashem, to make Hashem's name's name great. And, as we found, the idea of the name of Hashem being there in the names of the Malochim. Michoel Gavriel, Rafael Uriel. And Klal Yisrael becomes the Magdish Shemecha, become the one to sanctify Hashem's name when Yaakov Vinu's name becomes made grand, made great, because his name is made into Yisrael. Our goal is to expand and make known Hashem's name in the world, not our own. 
do for your name's sake. The most important way to daven, according to Chazal. When a person says, I'm doing it for your name's sake, Rabbi Nishalalam. But these were the Anshe Hashem. They were out for their own name. Just like later, at all times, when the ones are trying to do bad, they're out to make their own name. Now you have Er and Oinan. And what was the sin of Oinan? The sin of Oinan was, look, I want to have children. Why do I want to have children? So I'll make for myself a name. But these children won't be for making for myself a name. They're going to be to continue my brother. It's not for me. If it's not for my name's sake, then I'm not doing it. And the hashchasa was, I'm not going to do it for somebody else's name's sake. That is resonant to this matter, to this sugya, without, without a doubt. Without a doubt, it's connected to this thing. What's another thing which perhaps should also draw for us mm-hmm. some interesting associations? Says, what's that? The wife who was beautiful. Oh, the wife excellent. Excellent. So what happened? What did it say? It says that Onan was bad and Hashem killed him too. Two? Well, yeah, because he had killed Er. Why was Er bad? It didn't say why he was bad. It just said that he was bad. What did he do? He also destroyed the seed. But one second, the seed would have been his own child. It would have been for his own name. Good thing for people of that perspective. But there was something even worse than that. And that was that he didn't want to destroy her beauty. So he would rather not even maintain his name so that he could just have her beauty. Where did we find that? We found that by Kahaya. That was the way of the people of the Dar Hamabul. They had two wives. One who was there to make for them a name, to have children, and they didn't do anything with her. They didn't do anything for her. They just had relations with her, they used her as a baby factory, and that was it. There was no connection. They had another wife who was on their arm when they went to the cocktail parties, and she was made beautiful, and she was prevented from having children. That was the wife of desire, and that was the way of the Darhamabal. That was the way of the Darhamabal. So Er is doing that which was the way of the Darhamabal. For the one whom he cared, he didn't want to produce. He wanted it to be a selfish relationship instead of a building relationship of giving. Is this, this is also a link where it says that Aaron and Aaron, they uh, were evil in the eyes of Hashem, and then it says Noach found pain in the eyes of Hashem? Excellent. So, the by Er, it says... He was rabbe ene Hashem. He was he was he was he was bad in the eyes of Hashem. Noach found favor. So now let's look. We'll just skip down. We're coming. going to come back a little bit to more of the Zayar to the next quote from the Zayar, which is also from the end of Parshas Brachus. Tochazi, come and see. Noach kadis yalid. When Noach was born, korun le al shmo de nechama. They called him about Nechama, with his name associated with consolation, Noach, Naichale, Naichale Alma, calm for him, calm for the world, Naichale Avion, Naichale Vinin, good for the fathers, good for the sons, for the upper ones, for the lower ones, for this world, for the world to come. So it continues as well, Havi Shema Gorim. And his name could bring it. Avul Kutshebrichu Lav 
But the Rabbeinu Shalom said, Noyach behipuch asfon chen. If you reverse the letters of Noyach, it was chen. Kamodat Omar, as it will say at the end, the last Pesach in our parsha, v'noyach motzachen, Noach found chen. The same letters spell Noach and spell chen. Reversed. So the Rabbeinu Shalom's plan was different than everybody else's. Why? We've pointed out before that Nayak was named for this peace, this wonderful peace that would come to the world. Nayak was there with the greatest trauma that came to the world. Instead of Nayak bringing Naicha to the world, in a certain sense, it was the opposite. He was the only one who was Motzei Chein Ve'enei Hashem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu's seeing of it is different. You could say you know, Nayak and Chein is the same thing. That's why it's the same letters reversed. But the way it comes out, as we know, is very different because Noach's time is the most tumultuous. But Noach himself found Chain. But Siddiq Omar Aviyasi continued the Medrash, the Zoyer. By Tzadikim, their names, even yes, with this reversal, bring good things. With the evil, their names bring bad. The heir Bechor Yehuda, with heir, the firstborn of Yehuda, is Hapchul Asvoye Labish. The letters turn to bad. Heir was Ra, Ra Be'enei Hashem. Okay, we should stop there. Amazingly, Noach and heir are quoted here in the same breath. Noach finding Chain as opposed to his generation, Ra, air being Ra. What, why are we bringing air over here with Nayach? Come on. <laughs> but it's Mamish, it rings so, 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 so loud, so clear, when you see that the difference between Nayach and his generation was that what his generation is characterized is as being destructive in the very way that air was. You can't ignore such a message from Chazal. Okay. So here we have it. Noyach is different than air. And what's Noyach? What's Noyach's world? What's Noyach about? What Noyach is about is building a world instead of destroying it. Yes? They're really opposite, polar opposites. Polar opposites. And again, that's also just resonant of things which we talked about before. Remember where we talked about that there was a lemech of Cain and a lemech of Shes, and a lemech of Cain gave birth to Tuval Cain, who was the refine, refiner of weaponry to make destruction that much more of an of an art form, Rahman al-Islam, that much more of a science, whereas Noyach was there to produce things from the ground. He took the same metal and he forged it into tools, which were tools of plowing and production. That's what Noyach stands for, is to build worlds instead of to destroy them. And that's why Noyach stands in contrast to B'nai Daira, to the members of his generation. Let's take this, go back to the first paragraph that we quote from the Zayar and go a little bit further. 
Amar Aviyasi, this is five lines in at the period. Amar Aviyasi, Vechira Lav Iu Rasha. You have Ra, you have Rasha. Kiloi Kel Chafetz Rasha Atalei Gur Charo was the pasuk from Tilim that we quoted at the outset. <coughs> How do you compare the two terms? Amar Lei Lei Rasha Afilu Orim Yadi Legabe Chaver Afligav Lei Ovid Lei Midi Ikri Rasha. A person's called a Rasha for the wind-up. In the story of Moshe Rabbeinu encountering the Jew, beating up the other Jew, mm-hmm. right, he was preparing to hit him, and he called him a Russia. It doesn't say, why did you hit? It says, why will you hit? In other words, you're preparing to hit him. A Ra is called for the person who did it, who damaged the land, who impurified himself, I'm sorry, who damaged his way, corrupted his way, impurified himself and impurified the land. He gave strength and force to the impure spirit, which is called Ra. Again, our Pesach. He won't enter the palace. He won't see the presence of Hashem. Begin the Baha'i istalik shchinta alma, because that person has caused the shchina to leave the world. Meaning that the ability to produce, to produce life, is to produce more of the shchina in the world. When a person uses the male seed to combine it with the female seed, what happens? There's a third partner who comes into the picture. Who's the third partner? The Rabbanu Shalom. And what does the Rabbanu Shalom do? The Rabbanu Shalom is Zayrik by Neshama. The Rabbanu Shalom inserts, injects a Neshama into there. That brings more of the Shekhinah into the earth. But when the two don't allow the Zera to combine, they're reducing the Shekhinah. Now that's a very Zoharic way to look at it. It's a very elegant, beautiful way to look at something which instinctively we understand, the contrast between them. Because tell me something, you know, like when, you, when we say, and I, I'm quite sure we've discussed this before, when we say a man and woman who merit, the Shekhinah rests between them. Did anybody bring their violin? Right? What does that mean? When a man and woman merit, the Shekhinah rests between them. Look at their house. You'll see the Shekhinah. What does that mean? Okay, this is not a Sheva Brachas. What does it really mean? That the Shekhinah rests between two people like that. And, and the, the, the posh, there's a Pasha Pshat. And the Pasha Pshat is, the simple meaning of that is that when a man and woman merit, and they merit to have a good marriage, a good relationship between them, it's because, guess what? They care about the other party very much. That helps. That helps. It takes two to tango, one might say. Emes. Zoch It's between the two of them. The man provides the yud, the woman provides the hay. You know, everybody knows, right? Ish isha, where the Gemara says it, they both have the word ish. But one of them has a yud in it, one has the word hay in it. If you combine them, that makes the shechina, and the shechina is a good ish, is a good fire. Otherwise, ish eich 
<clears throat> if they remain apart, so then you don't have the Shekhinah, then it's just fire. It's just fire. And the way they come together is where each one enters the relationship trying to do for the other and stays in the relationship trying to do for the other. Why is that the Shekhinah? Very simple. Because tell me something. The, you, you have a relationship with the Rabbeinu Shalom? What is he hoping to get from you? Zippo. The Rabbeinu doesn't need anything. We don't need any. We, don't, we can't give him anything. What's, why is the Rabbeinu in the relationship? Because he wants to give to you. Because he wants to give to you. And if you're in a relationship to get, that's not the Shekhinah. If you're in a relationship to give, then the Shekhinah's there. And that means that the Shekhinah that's inside of you is operating, is driving the vehicle. Now, we're all not perfect saints. I'm sorry, excuse me, I, I know you're offended, I apologize. Almost all of us are not perfect saints. And so, you know, Kedoshim to you, right? Remember the beautiful essay of Rav Shimon Shkop, Kedoshim to you, Ki Kodesh Ani Hashem Lekechem, Be holy because I, Hashem, your God, am holy. So he says in the Akdom of the Shari Yeshua, what does that mean, be holy like Hashem? How, how are you supposed to do that? And he said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't do for himself. HaKadosh Baruch Hu just does for others. And when there's a mitzvah to be holy, it means spend your life thinking about others. Dedicate yourself to others. So he says, that's why Chazal say, Yochal Kamayni, I would think, you should talk be as holy as me. My sanctity is beyond yours. And that's because, since Rabbi Hashem has no needs, so he can mamish be dedicated to others. But we have needs. And that having those needs provides us with a challenge, because we can spend life trying to satisfy those needs. And to some degree, we're bound to. But nevertheless, right? your life has to come first. You have to take care of yourself too. So therefore, we can't quite reach it. And in a marriage, a person, it's awfully hard for a person to be literally selfless and just be thinking about the other person. But the defining characteristic of the marriage is that the person should be in there to do for somebody else, to do for the other party. That's what it needs to be. The secret is that it usually helps the person to be the happiest person in the world. When a person gives, they're happy. When a person gives, they create an environment of giving. And very often, that will be reciprocated. Not always. Not always. But very often, especially when it's unconditional giving, it just... It just creates an atmosphere of goodness. And yeah, again, it's not always perfect, but you know, we have a choice. We can say to ourselves, yeah, he's talking about every situation except mine, right? Because with the person I'm with, as selfless as I am, I can't do it. Maybe, maybe, but it also could be that maybe we're not as selfless as we're, as we're, as we're thinking, and that's why it's not working so well. I don't know, I just, I'm not trying to make simplistic statements. But it is, a, it is a fact of life that that's what makes Shekhinah Shriya B'nayim. That's what makes Shekhinah Shriya B'nayim. And so we instinctively understand that when a person's involved in a relationship where he wants to rid it of giving, where it's just going to be Veshiches Arza to destroy 
instead of to create, not to use the opportunity of relationship to create more of a framework of giving, to bring children and to be able to give to children. That's the constant giving of children. So you understand that that takes away the Shekhinah from the world. But the Zayar is even picturing it so much deeper. When the husband and wife get together to produce a child, and then HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes down in another person, and there's more Shekhinah in the world. But if instead each one goes their own way, then there is no Shekhinah. There's one less child. If you understand that those two, if you want to take the second one simplistically, what the Zayar is saying simplistically, Gesundheit, hey, it will still work. There'll be one less outpost of the Shekhinah in the world because there will be one less child in the world. But you understand that the depth of it is that when the husband and wife come together in an act that will produce, that will give, that will create a constant pipeline of chesed between parents and children forever, so then, of course, that brings the Shekhinah. Of course, that brings the Shekhinah. Okay, let's continue. Good question. Yeah. This this implicates all the males as being the source of Ra. Nothing's changed. Only the males. Yeah. Where were you complaining when we had the Chet of Adam Arishan with Chava? Why why weren't you complaining then? Well, it just struck me now. <laughs> How's, talk about selfless. Um, <laughs> Slow fuse. Uh, it's, it's not accurate to say that it implicates the males completely because it describes the B'nai Adam as sort of like this, like big attracting thing that caused them to go, you know, in their way. But yes, in terms of initiative, the, the men are supposed to lead things in a certain way, in a certain direction, which the opposite was the case. The opposite was the case. So Bnei HaElohim descended into the realm of Bnei Sa'adam. Yes, I think to some degree it does implicate the males, and it's always good to take responsibility. Sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Now, ask the Zayar, Minolan, how do you know that it really is Masalik the Shekhinah from the world? Miyakov. Why? Tikadistalik Shekhinah minei Choshev dibibinoi havi pisul Dibiginayu istakif ba'alma ruha mesava Vigora nahaira min siara upogimla Yaakov Avinu, when the Shekhinah left him, he thought that there was a psul, there was something wrong amongst his descendants, that it was on their account that it was strengthened in the world, the Ruach of Tumah, and it therefore removed or lessened the light of the sun. Mm-hmm. Because this is metame the migdash v'istalkas shchinta miiluyu de Yaakov and the shchina left Yaakov Avinu. Kol shekain ahu de mesayv orche v'soyv garmei dhu askiflei l'rucha mesava ovegin kach kad istayv ikrira. Certainly, the person who does it himself. 
the Zayar is referring to this week's Parsha. In this week's Parsha, Yaakov Avinu says to his children, gather, and I'm going to tell you what's going to be with you in the end of days. And then he doesn't seem to say it. Okay, some would say, well, he is saying it. He's saying it in the brachas. But Rashi famously brings, it's a Gemara in Maseches Psachim, that Yaakov Avinu wanted to reveal to them the end of days. And Nistalka imenu shechina, the shechina left him. And he said, uh-oh, maybe there's a psul bizarri. Maybe there's something that's puzzle amongst my children. Right? So what did they do? What does the Gemara Psachim say? They said, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Aleikeinu Hashem Echad. Kesheim she'ein belibcha elechad, kach ein belibeinu elechad. The same way, in your heart there's one, in our heart there's also one. You read that Gemara, and you believe that what Yaakov Avinu was thinking was that one of his children was not a maimon, was not a believer in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That was the problem, that not of his children would be tzaddikim. Ma'aminim. And when they said, Shema Yisrael, and they're telling Yaakov Avinu, listen Yisrael, Hashem is our God, Hashem is one, they are reassuring him, they're pledging allegiance to the God of the universe, we believe in the same thing that you believe in. So worry, all of your children are tzaddikim. The Zaira Kodesh is saying that the reason why Yaakov Avinu was worried was because he thought maybe one of his children was a Russia that had produced something negative. It was through their Hashchasa Zera that had done it. And he says, how much more so the person who's Mashchah Zera himself? Very hard to understand. But let's listen to it and hear it a little bit better. A little bit better. And I think the best way to bring it out, to start, is by saying the first words that Yaakov Avinu did say to his children. And what was that? He spoke to Ruvain. And what did he say? Ruvain b'chayriyata. Ruvain, you are my b'chayr. Kaychi, my strength, v'reshis aini. And the first of aini. What's aini? Aini is also of my strength. What does Rashi say? He was born from the first seminal drop that came out of Yaakov Avinu. Le'ra'a keri miyamav. He never had, even accidentally, a drop of seminal fluid come out of him until, at what age? 91. <clears throat> Right? Am I right? 91? Am I off by? Am I, am I off by? 84. Right? right? 63 years he was when he got the brachas. 14 years old he was. He, 14 years he spent in Shem Ever. So he's 77. Seven years he worked for Leah's hand. Rachel's hand and ended up with Leah's hand. And he's 84 years old. Right? And then another seven, but but so 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 the other seven means ninety-one, which means which is why, right? Well, Yosef was thirty-nine when when he stood before Pare, but okay, forty-six. So eighty-four years old. At eighty-four years old, he has the first seminal drop come out of him to conceive Ruvain. Rashis Aini.
That was the first thing that Yaakov Avinu said. Now that's, first of all, it's obviously quite an amazing, amazing testament. Farvos, what's the depth of that? The depth of that has to be seen all the way into the root of Yaakov Avinu. What made Yaakov Avinu unique amongst the others? Yaakovina was horrified by the idea that there was somebody invalid amongst his children. If Avram would have been horrified by that, or if Yitzchak would have been horrified by that, they would have gone down pretty horrified. But Yaakovina would not have a Yishmael, he would not have an Esav, he would have Mitasai Shlema. Chazal, in fact, say that that was the unique quality of Yaakovina. They say it in different ways. And we've touched upon this in the past because it's the Yisait Gadol. It's a very important principle. We're going to revisit it here quickly. And that is the Gemara in Maseches Shabbos, where the Gemara says that from the moment that the snake contaminated Adam Arisha and Chava, excuse me, it, that, that caused problems for the descendants of Chava. And even Avram Avinu was affected by it, which is why he had Yishmuel. And Yitzchak Avinu was affected by it until Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu, the third of the Avais, was completely purged of the corruption caused by the snake. And that's why all of his children, Mitos Shlema. When we say this, we usually put it together with a different Gemara. The Gemara that says in Maseches Tainus, Yaakov Avinu Loimes, from this week's Parsha. Okay, here's another thing from this week's Parsha, very connected. Yaakov Avinu Loimes, Yaakov Avinu didn't die. Why? Because in the Parsha it never says, Vayamas Yaakov. To which, right, this is what he said at the table, one of the Amiroim, uh, it says in one second, They embalmed him, they eulogized him, they buried him. You don't do that to live people. Maybe eulogies you do at the banquet, right? But, but you, don't, right? you don't even embalm them at the banquet. Right? It's very painful to be embalmed if you're alive. I, I hear from people, I don't know. I know people who go to, the, to those clinics. Hey, whatever it is, yeah, so, so, so it, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult, you know, that way. So, so, Frek de Gemara, what do you mean that he didn't die? Of course he died. It says more Mikrani Dairish. I'm saying I'm, I'm darshaning a Pasuk. And the Pasuk says, I'm going to save you from afar, and your descendants from the land of their captivity. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu speaks to Yaakov, and he says, I'm going to save you and your children from their captivity. Is he saving their cho- his children literally? Yes. So he's also saving him literally. It, the Pasuk puts them together. Right? So what's the problem? I don't understand. So you have a drusha from the Pasuk that they saved Yaakov, that Yaakovina was because it says him and his children, but you still have a Pasuk which says that he was embalmed, eulogized, and buried. You haven't resolved that problem. So what the Rishayim say, the Rajba says, is that what he's saying is, on a level of pshat, he died. On a level of drash, he didn't die. And why didn't he die on a level of drash? 
Because the Pasuk puts him together with his children and says his children are alive, so he's alive. And what that means is that because Yaakov Avinu, all of his children were in the game, therefore he was considered alive through them. And that's why Yaakov Avinu was so filled with grief when he lost Yosef. Rashi says, because he said he had a tradition that if he wouldn't have that, he wasn't going to make it to Elam Haba, Yaakov Avinu specifically. And you know, from, as a result of the sin, people die. From the sin of the Eitz Hadas. Yaakov Avinu, who was the one who was purged from the sin of the Eitz Hadas, so he had two things. One, all of his children remained part of the game, and the other one was that we say about him as a result that he didn't die, quote-unquote. It's very complete. It's very, very elegant. And that's why, in this week's parsha again, when Yaakov Avinu is there, and the Shekhinah leaves him, he says, uh-oh, maybe it's because, even though I have all these children, but maybe they're not all part of it. And then you know what that means? It means, I was mashchizera. It means I created something that's not part of the future. I created something that's not part of the future, that doesn't build. Ive. <clears throat> How can he be responsible for what his kids do? Tell me something. People say Kaddish for their parents. Does it help the parents? Yeah. Why? Why? How could we be responsible for what our kids do? How could we be responsible? It's not just punishment, it's also reward. You know, there's a reason why we want to invest so much in trying to be mechanach our children, and why it's so painful. Because we do, we we understand it is what we created, it is what we created, and it will make the difference. It will make the difference. It's a very poignant thing, you know, the words Shema Yisrael. I I, I read one somebody make make it Russia. It's a very very good Russia out of it. But you have to realize, every time you say Shema Yisrael, you're saying to your parents and to your grandparents, all the way up to Yaakov Avinu, don't worry, we're still in the game. Shema Yisrael, Hashem, we're not talking to Hashem when we say Shema Yisrael. We're talking to Yisrael. Who's Yisrael? Klal Yisrael? No, the original Shema Yisrael, according to Chazal, was, you're telling your parents, you're telling your grandparents, don't worry, what you created, it's still Jing, it's still on. Shema Yisrael. It's the way of the world. How could we be responsible? Yeah, there are certain theological, philosophical questions. What we are responsible, what we're not responsible for. I can't answer all those questions. But to assume that we have no shaykhs to it, it doesn't work one way and not the other. We do something, we understand it's an ilu neshama because it's what they created. When we don't, and they're to some degree given credit. So, 
so this is what it is. So Yaakov Avinu has to see this. And that's why when he's reassured by his children, in fact, his first words are, you should know, I mamish wasted nothing. I wasted nothing. I wasted nothing. Do you know? A dimion, a comparison, which is a worthy comparison. So the Jewish people in the midbar we ate the mon. What was unique about the mon? So there was something about the mon which spooked the Jewish people. It was amazing and it was spooky. What was what was what was the amazing thing? It produced no waste. And the Jewish people were creeped out. They thought they had all this stuff building up, you know, inside of their kishkas. Uh-oh, it's not going anywhere. Klum, is there such a thing as a person who's machnes veinay maitzi, who ingests and doesn't expel? We always expel. But they didn't expel the man. Why? The man was heavenly food. In the corrupted earth, there's stuff which you use and there's stuff which you throw away. And you know what that's called? That's called death. What's the raya? I'll share with you something I definitely shared with you before, but it's been probably a couple of years since I shared it with you around this table. Three people who sat at a table with divrei Torah between them, it's as if they ate from Hashem's table. As it says, Three people who sit at a table and don't share divrei Torah, it's as if they ate zivchei mesim, the offerings of the dead. What's the offerings of the dead? Offerings to Avodah Zarah, the Gemara says. Why? Because the Pasuk says, They bowed down to Balpar and they ate the offerings of the dead. Continues the Mishnah again. It's as if they ate Zivchei Meisim. As it says, The tables were filled with vomit and waste, without Mokayim, without place or without the Rabbi Nishalayim. That Zivchei Meisim is vomit and waste. How did one worship Pa'ar, by the way? With waste. So I, I, I've shared with you before an amazing Rav Chaim Volozhener. Rav Chaim Volozhener asks a brilliant question. The Gemara says, in the Midbar, the Pasuk says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave instructions through Maishar Venu and Sefer Dvarim about how the Jewish people, where the Jewish people should go to the bathroom. They should go outside of the camp. They should cover up what they expel. Asked the Gemara, I don't get it. In the Midbar, they were eating mun, and mun didn't produce waste. So why do they have to go to the bathroom? Why do you have to discuss the Allah is going to the bathroom? To which the Gemara says, a, an astounding answer. Until you hear it in the Gemara, you say, what? Once you hear it in the Gemara, you say, what? And then you say, well, maybe it could be, right? What does the Gemara say? The Gemara says that there were a bunch of people from Ammon and Moab who had those trucks 
that you see on the sidewalks in Washington, right? And they were selling pretzels. And in fact, on the side, it even said, like it says in Washington, kosher hot dogs, right? Right, you know, everywhere, right? You know, it, it, they, were, they were selling potato chips, right? And it had a, had a hashgacha on it. So, 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 look, you know, there's, there's lots of, com- there are lots of Jews traveling over here. They love snacks, right? So, this, so they sold them stuff. So, besides eating the mun, we ate that stuff. That stuff produced saya. For that, we have to go to the bathroom. Right? It, that's what the more, I, more I, excuse me, the part about Washington, and it doesn't say anything about sweatshirts, um, right? But, but you know, the Gemara does say that they, they weren't traveling in a bubble. Like we would think, nobody came close. They came by and they tried to sell them stuff. And they bought it. Brilliant answer. But I have a simpler answer. And the simpler answer is that the Jewish people had animals. They brought korbanas. They, many of the korbanas were to be eaten by the people who brought the korbanas or by the kayanim. So there you have it. They didn't just eat mun, so they had to go to the bathroom from the karbanas. To which Rav Chaim said, karbanas don't produce waste. Because when you take something and you put it on Hashem's table to send it up to the Rabbanah it's just as godly as the bread which HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends down from the heavens down here. That doesn't have waste. This doesn't have waste. Waste is a micro-expression of death. Death means something. We got out of it what we could get out of it, but the rest gets cast away. Waste is an expression of death. We got out of it what we could get out of it. The rest got filtered out and gets cast away. And you know what? The world is supposed to be completely used, completely good. And when you bring heaven down to earth, or when you bring the earth up to heaven, that's what you get. It's all good. But in this world of bays, of division, you say, this is the light and this is the darkness. This is the heavens and this is the earth. This is the part you can use and this is the part you have to reject. This is Yisrael, and this is the Umay Sa'ilam. This is Nayach, and this is everybody else. Yaakov Avinu was supposed to bring us back to Kaida Machet. Yaakov Avinu was supposed to bring a stop to that. Things don't go to waste. Nothing ever went to waste. I never had to see anything be destroyed. It's in this little world of Yaakov Avinu, the world around, yes. But that was Yaakov Avinu's world. That was meant to be Yaakov Avinu's world. That was he supposed to be. You know what, what Rav Hutner said? Beautiful, brilliant. He said, okay, it's Yiddish. Avram Avinu is the Ershta Givorener. Avram Avinu was the first one to become become a Jew. Yitzchak is the Ershta Gebeiriner. Yitzchak was the first one to be born a Jew. And Yaakov is the Ershta Farfaliner. Yaakov is the first one that can never leave being a Jew.
from Yaakov Avinu and on, we say Yisrael Afal Pishachata, Yisrael, who a Jew, even if he sins, remains a Jew. You can't throw it away. What Yaakov Avinu stands for is everything stays. And that's the antithesis of the Daramabu. Mamish. It was just selfish indulgence, throwing away. You know that in the Medrash, when it says Psul Bazari, one of the ways that they understand it is, it may be one of them, Boal Basel Nechor. One of them was not uh, staying with the Jewish people, with the Jewish person. The, the, the difficulty of that is the quote-unquote wasting of the seed. The difficulty of that is the loss of the seed, of the future that the person's casting away. And that's why we try so hard. It's, it's even a remarkable thing that, you know, like we're very, very careful, very cautious, very standoffish about converting people to Judaism. But if a person, if a Jewish person marries a non-Jewish woman and the child isn't Jewish, so there were G'daylim, like Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, who was Medayag in the Ramam, and says, there, try your darndest. Why? Because the seed is there. You don't want it to go to waste. So I want to just say one, one, uh, one closing note. This Pasuk, which we're going to have to dwell on more, Emir Hashem. The next Pasuk, Hashem regretted that he made man on the earth by his Atzei and he was sad to his heart. Hashem was sad. It's a hard Pasuk to read, philosophical problems, Rashi brings. What, what does that mean? Like, Hashem was sad. But you know, we said this morning, we said, Hashem's honors forever. Yismach Hashem b'masav. Hashem rejoices in what He made, in His creations. He rejoices in creation. When is Hashem sad? Everybody knows when Hashem is sad. When the Malachim tried to say Shira at Kriyas Yamsuf, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I'm sad. Why? Because Masse Yodai, what I made with my hands, Taivim Bayam was being drowned in the sea. I'm sad. I created something and it's gone. It's disappearing. You don't understand what it means. Destruction. When there's potential to build, Hashem rejoices in building. He, dis- he hates destruction. He's so saddened by, I shouldn't say hates, he's so saddened by destruction. That's what this is. What this is is a group of people who are doing stuff for themselves not to create, not to build. That's the antithesis of God. There was a man named Yaina. We've compared him, and we will continue, Bezos Hashem, to compare him many times to Nayach. Micro Nayach. Not the world, a city, 40 days, 40 nights, you got it. He travels in a teva, he travels in a whale. By the way, there are so many interesting comparisons, and of course, 
you know, the Yaina that Nayak sends, you know, whatever. Not for now, right now. But look what happens. Yaina says, Rabbanishlawam, destroy that place. Come on. I'm going to warn them, I know, and then you're going to chicken out, and you're not going to destroy them. Get them! Come on! Rabbanisham, don't you know? Jews are Republicans. I'm sorry, excuse me. Right? Right, get them! And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Nayach, to Yaina, nothing. He makes it a hot day. Yaina builds for himself a little sukkah. It's not really worth that much without the little gourd that grows over it. And then he feels good. And then a little bit later, it wilts and it dies. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, and Nayach is angry, and he says, I'd rather die than live. He himself, again, he says it. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to him, why are you so upset about the gourd that you didn't do anything to build it, to plant it, that it was here for a day and gone. And I, loyachus, I shouldn't value the Ninveh, the Ir Hagdaila. Don't you understand that I'm a Rabbanish? I don't like destroying things. I don't like destroying things. And anything is a precious thing to waste. And anything is a precious thing to waste. That's the aside of our understanding of the Rabbanu Shalala. He created, he wants it to exist. You want to make him happy? Exist. Produce. Expand his creation. You want to make him unhappy? Go around, destroy. Destroy evil, say it's evil. Don't care about something. You know, let it wilt away. It doesn't deserve existence. That's not Hashem's attitude. Thank goodness it's not Hashem's attitude. Because that's why we're here. So what a way to frame Parshas Noyach. The destruction of the world, the saving of the world. the, The Mabul, excuse me, I know this will sound corny, but the Mabul is comprised of the Rabbeinu Shalom's tears. And I, I can't, I'm sure it's a Zayar somewhere. <laughs> but that's what it is. Hashem had to destroy the world. This is he was sad. Go out and build, men. Have a great day. How do we understand Kohala? I was there's a proper time to...